Welcome to the Human Rights Roundtable. I'm your co-host, Melinda Garfield. And I'm Danielle Sutton. And we are so happy you joined us today. Um, Each episode so far, we've been interviewing all of the Westwood Human Rights Task Force uh, members. And today, we have special guest Eric Arnold, the Executive Director of Hale. Thank you for joining us, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, So let's start by telling us about how you got involved with the Human Rights Task Force. Um, Ultimately, it was, um, uh, I sent a few emails to a few people. Um, I've always felt that it's an important component to our community, to any community, and Westwood in particular, and just was very intrigued with the work and feel like it's an important thing at this time. It's always been an important thing, but it has felt heightened, obviously, in the most, in recent years, and so just sort of a little persistence, um, sent a few extra emails and just said, I'm really interested if, if it's uh, something folks would like uh, like to have me participate on. And I think that our, our work at Hale does have some intersection with this type of work. So I felt like there's a little bit of a, uh, an aspect that um, we're thinking about that could be valuable in the community. Hmm. And how long have you been the executive director? And how and you actually live in Westwood too. I do, how, yeah. how long have you been a resident? I've been a resident and at Hale as executive director for 21 years. Mm. So a little while. So you know, my kids grew up in the schools, and we went through the whole thing. And my we moved here. My daughter was two, so she you know had those early experiences. And then my son was born while we were in town, and it's been here a while. That's great. In your years as executive director, have you done so much to bring diversity, equity, and inclusion to the forefront of many programs and offerings at Hale? Can you talk a little bit about how you've done that and some of the programs that stand out in your mind as effective in improving DEI at Hale and thereby in the communities that Hale serves? Yeah, I mean, I would would start by actually saying that, you know, how some of what I brought to Hale was the I was the beneficiary of what people before me had brought to Hale, and I, I think, you know, it is worth noting that my predecessor Jim Early was a fantastic gentleman who was really committed to providing opportunities for a wide variety of kids, and during the the era of our busing um, sort of crisis and challenges in the in Boston. Hale began really saying, well, we need to reach out and make sure that kids are having opportunities. And so even as far back as the 60s and 70s, Hale was really focused on reaching out to kids from a wide variety of different communities and giving them opportunities at Hale and creating a real diverse, and you know, for lack of a better term, sort of melting pot with kids who had come from, you know, at different summers, we've had up to 70 different communities represented at Hale. Um, so, so I think that the history has lent it self to that and you know my predecessor predecessor did a ton of work on that front so I can't say that it's just what we've done and that I've done since I've been there I will say we've really tried to expand that work and think about how we make it meaningful Um, we have um, you know opened up some programs that partner directly with the Boston Public Schools in particular one of those is called uh, the OLA program which is the Hale Outdoor Learning Adventures Program. It's a summer learning academy um, for fourth through sixth graders from a variety of different Boston public schools, and they really get that opportunity to come to Hale. We focus on what they might be losing in the summer months when they're not engaged in activities, and how do we, um, working with Boston public school teachers, designing a curriculum that's specific to Hale, how do they have some academic component to what is happening and the camp and en- enrichment experience. And so 
I think that's that's been a really a great program. We've also really focused on um, our semester school, Intrepid Academy at Hale, where we have. Right now, we're working with about 45 students from the Margarita Muniz Academy, which is a Boston public school. And the students are with us every day. Um, their teachers are out with them. And they're having just a really amazing uh, spring experience. I know they were really enjoying the temperature change, but today is a cold one, and I'm not sure it's as fun. But they're outside a lot. They're in the buildings. You know, using buildings for classrooms. But they're they're doing some really cool stuff. And I think, you know, what's interesting is it's 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 what we're trying to do is provide unique opportunities, and that's a program that we started and had some really interesting conversations at the board level about opportunities that were afforded to some board members' children based on their experiences and how wouldn't it be great if those similar experiences were available to more kids, and in particular kids who wouldn't, couldn't necessarily afford it. And, you know, the example was, you know, somebody's son went to a semester school and they were in Colorado and they're traveling all over the place and doing these really cool things, and we're like, how could we provide something like that for kids um, who are in a different different environment, different setting, and wouldn't have that experience to, to pay for it. So um, that's an important part of what we're doing. And then most recently, I'm giving you a long answer to this. That's London, okay. But um, <laughs> most recently we started working with, uh, we um, have been working with the Perone Sizer Institute at Hale, and that's a group of professional development uh, educators who uh, do a variety of training programs. We run an institute for teachers all year, and there's a big focus in that on anti-racism and, and, and in education and how important it is to really think about what, what we're teaching, how we're teaching things, and be evaluating that in a variety of different ways. And so that's been a really exciting process. We've been doing that work um, um, with them for the last year um, and really are, are doing uh, some, some fun stuff there as well. Great. Um, can you talk about... <laughs> the intersection of nature, recreation, and human rights DEI work? I can try to. Okay. I can't promise anything too eloquent or anything <laughs> on that, but I can try to talk about that a little bit. I, I you know, I think that, um, for one, there's just so many great lessons we can learn from the natural world. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about what's so important in our existence, uh, when you talk about the, the big issues today, diversity in species, diversity in, in the natural world is so important. We're so concerned, when, rightfully so, when something becomes endangered and we're all worried about it. And, and the reason we're concerned is because the, the diversity of that ecosystem is what makes it thrive. And that's true with humans, too, I think. And I think you can really relate to those two things, where the diversity of us as people, when we're together and truly experiencing that diversity, we thrive. And, you know, you read the studies, the stories about, you know, corporations, the more diverse, the more successful they are, the more they thrive. It's statistically shown, you know, if you have a diverse workforce, your organization will thrive better. And it just relates directly to what we see in the environment, right? As soon as we lose a few species, we've got all these problems and, you know, it's out of balance. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, very true for humans. So mm -hmm. I think that's just one of the kind of many ways you can mm -hmm. kind of link those things. Out of, <laughs> out of curiosity, yeah. um, did you make any changes to your hiring practices mm -hmm. around DEI and what types of, um, you know, differences have you seen um, while on searching for um, either seasonal employees mm -hmm. or, or, I mean, there's lots of different people who help Hale run. So yeah. can you explain that a little? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think, you know, one thing I would say about Hale is that we, um, we think we've done a good job, but we know there's areas we've fallen way short and that there's a lot of work we still need to really do and look at, look at how we operate. And we've had some very interesting conversations internally about structures that we have or, in some cases, the lack of a structure that we have in how we operate and how that can be less inviting for somebody who's not as comfortable in the space that we have resided in, which has been predominantly a white space. Um, um, in particular, though, to hiring practices, yes, we have looked at a few different things that we've had to do. We've thought a lot about even specifics of the type of questions we ask, how we ask the questions, how, how does somebody fill out an application, what are the expectations on turnaround time, on, um, again, the technology that supports that, and then also, um, you know, one of the big things for us at Hale is the majority of our work is still on our property. We do a lot now in Boston. We've got student, we've got, we have uh, four staff who work at Boston Public Schools every day, all day. So they're in the city working, but the majority of our activities are still at Hale. And so we have to spend a lot of time thinking about how do people get there? And transportation is a big piece. So we've really, we've allocated a lot of resources towards that to make, to break down that barrier so that you can get to Hale. You know, we, we're strong advocates of a, of a hope that someday there'll be a MBTA bus down 109 as well as Route 1A, which we think is great that there's one there, but we would love one down 109 because it really is a way for us to continue to, you know, encourage people coming from a variety of different places to be able to get to Hale to work. That's yeah. great. Hale recently changed its official name to Hale Education, Inc. Mm -hmm. What kind of educational offerings take place or will take place at Hale that particularly advance diversity, equity, and inclusion practices? Yeah, there's a lot that we'll be doing, I think, differently. I would also pause to say that, you know, the name change um, for Hale was an ex exciting thing for us. And it, it, it's two things. It's, it sort of is going back to our roots because the organization was founded on this idea of education. Um, that's what our founder was all about, was giving kids cool opportunities. So we were sort of cycling back to our roots, but we also, you know, the word reservation had some connotations to it that we felt was not appropriate for us anymore and that we needed to move away from that. So I just share that as a little bit of the perspective of what we were doing. But, you know, we are, our programs, I think, you know, some of what I mentioned in particular as we work with schools and ask them to think about reimagining learning, that's one of our core tenets is just, we all need to reimagine what learning is today. Mm -hmm. And and I think um, the, the professional staff we have and their um, intentionality around diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice in how we, in talking and working with schools is the, is the primary way that we make that difference. Um, and I think, um, as I mentioned, you know, we're now working with a school that has asked us to help them. They're planning to open a, a middle school. It's one of the Boston public schools. They'll be bringing in a middle school. And they've asked us to consult, and to, our team is in there helping them design what their middle school will be like. And it's in that format that we're able to really sort of talk about how does DEI work in your school. You're designing something new and fresh. And for that matter, it goes back to a little bit of your question a minute ago, how does nature relate and how is nature part of that experience? And I think that's the other part that is really important that we believe is um, uh, a key component to, to linking 
the power of diversity um, and how that'll work. So those are a few different things that we're doing. Um, you know, also some things in the public sphere. We'll be running a Juneteenth event um, for the open to the public. It's uh, we did a small one last year. It includes a fantastic playback theater experience, which is really. If you've never experienced playback theater, it's just a fantastic opportunity where the audience tells stories and the performers sort of reenact their story and interpret that story back to them. And there's a give and take, um, and we'll be doing that uh, around our Juneteenth celebration. So it's all about sort of diversity, inclusion, equity, justice, uh, that concept behind this playback theater piece and it, last year it was very powerful and very fun and just really an enjoyable thing we did it outdoors which is great in what ways do you see that we make improvements in our community well, I think that I think that uh, we are continually at a really cool and exciting moment and I think the you know specifically supporting and making sure that the community feels inclusive I think is one of the, the most important pieces and I think it is important for us to continue to really, for folks to really understand the difference between diversity and inclusion and equity and justice. What do those words mean? And what's the difference between them? And while diversity is important and it is a key piece, it, it fails if, it's, if there's not a welcoming and inclusive space. And I think that for um, Westwood, that is, a, that is a, a goal and a challenge and a, a space where we can continue to grow and keep thinking about how we feel that um, it's an inclusive, inclusive space, welcoming of all. How would you suggest that we, as the Human Rights Task Force, bring people together to discuss hard topics? That seems to be something that we talk about mm. all the time in our meetings, but there's usually no resolution on what makes sense. Do you have any ideas around that? That's a good question. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I think I think we need to we need to keep thinking about what forums and events are available and open for that. Um, it's tricky, we all know that, you know, the conversations can be hard and can be, you know, um, uh, you can leave them not sure if you're feeling resolved, that happens regularly, right? Mm -hmm. A little sense of, un, of lack of resolution upon discussions. I, 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 think, I think we need to just keep fostering that open and honest dialogue I think there are probably some forums that we haven't quite thought of yet. Uh, you know, you both work in town and know of a lot of the things that go on, and I think um, there are probably some ways that, that we can create certain forums that would let that happen, um, that we can push that, those, those discussions to really occur. I think hearing what happens with the schools and their effort and their audit, I think, is fantastic. I think exploring how the town can do something similar within the infrastructure of the town. I think it goes back to, you know, just saying, we think about how our future and potential employees interface with us as an organization. And if I'm the one who thinks of that, I, I'm going to do it with my lens, sort of this white male privileged lifestyle I've basically had, you know, and that's the lens I'm going to imagine how I interact. That's the same for everything the town does. And, you know, I go file a permit. And, you know, is that is that process something that is I get because I've lived in suburbia a long time and I get it, whereas somebody else is like, well, this just feels foreign, I don't understand. And I think what 
we need to keep examining that and understand that, you know, it, if I go into a place and I don't feel like it's working out and I can't figure it out, I don't think to myself, oh, that's because of my race mm-hmm. that I can't figure it out. And, it's, and it might be that my, it's, it's that the reason this, we're not communicating well, mm-hmm. if I'm, you know, I come into failure a lot, you're describing this and I'm doing this and I, somebody might be like, wait, if, 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 you know, I'm like, I would never consider that to be part of a barrier that might be this issue. It might be that, that we may not be communicating. It might have some racial issue there. Mm-hmm. We need to explore that in its fullest way to make sure that people always feel really welcome and invited into all of the things that we're doing. It's hard to do. I don't know that it's not an easy process. No, I've been actually thinking about that quite a bit because we talk, you know, repeatedly um, about how you have difficult conversations and being a social worker with a clinical background, there's a lot of... um, You're supposed to be an expert. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of things, right? Why you ask me that question? Can't we just ask her? (laughs) There's this this tenet in social work that is, you know, meet the people where they're at, meet the client where they're at, because you can't go in, you know, um, expecting them to be in a different place. You have to go in where they are. But I find myself, you know, in our in our meetings with the HRTF, thinking about that and also thinking about other conversations we've had of, you can meet somebody where they're at, but that doesn't mean that they have to be comfortable mm-hmm. with um, you know, everything that's being talked about and everything that's being said and the different views that are being shared. They just need to be equipped yeah. to manage the conversation. And that was a quote from Mandy taft Pierman, who yeah. talked about being equipped versus being comfortable. And I think a lot about that when I think of meeting people where they're at. There's another social work tenant, uh, structure binds anxiety, right? Mm. Which we've all been feeling uh, like how I like to clean a closet when I feel anxious, right? (laughs) Give myself some structure that I can control, right? Uh, We all have those things. I think the community forums and the community conversations that I've seen go well in Westwood and in other places have a lot of structure and some ground rules to how the conversation is going to happen so that people feel held like in that place and that's part of equipping them right like this is a place where we've got some ground rules of how this is going to go and you know people are going to be if not agreeing treating each other respectfully as they disagree. And so I think those feel like kind of the, the basic starting places of these difficult conversations or forums that we know will need to happen. Um, so. Yeah, I think that's smart. And I think the way you're, you know, it does need structure. And, it, and in many ways, it needs professionals. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I'm by no means a professional in this, right? This is, None of this us is, are. Right. Yeah. I, and, you know, we, we, we've we hired somebody at Hale to help us mm-hmm. navigate this and to do some sessions with our staff and to be available as a resource for people to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have to say the first workshop she ran with us, it was a three-hour Zoom workshop, right? And might have been four hours. I can't even wow. remember. And lots of breaks and, you know, up and moving. You know, up and moving, but only in your own little Zoom, your own <laughs> room. But anyway... Right. The beginning of it felt initially so mundane that I was like, this is ridiculous. We're just talking about this like basic like little things. And I was like, wait, this is the the essential structures that allow us to have this conversation that then then, you know, three hours later, we're able to dig into something and go back to these things that felt, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, rudimentary sort mm-hmm. of at the beginning those are the things that sort of led us to be able to have the conversation. So I think right. you're right. It's an important structure piece. I think the right, you know, professionals who can really lead some of that stuff. Absolutely. Um, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and are, are comfortable diving into an uncomfortable space and then moving people through that. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, final question. Yes. When you picture the community of Westwood five years from now, what do you see? Uh, the same, different in terms of human rights, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, I think the piece that stands out for me is if we look at the population trends, I'm going to skirt around your question a little <laughs> bit, but, uh, but um, if we look at population trends today and where things are going in Boston and in greater Boston, in particular if you look at in greater Boston, I'm not going to have the numbers exact, but it's something you know, like it's 68% white right now. But if you look at that trend of how it's moving, it is moving pretty quickly. And I think because of that, we are going to, we're just going to see a more diverse community. It's going to happen. And, you know, at some point, it's a, whatever, you know, it's a minority majority, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, that's going to happen. And I think when that comes, it's coming sooner than, than people think. And I think, therefore, it's, it's important to be really embracing that concept. Where do I, I think, I think Westwood will continue to change. I think that's just the nature of the beast. I think, I do think there's going to be some tough moments and some tough conversations that people are going to have in the process. In general, it is a, you know, it's a bedroom community. We live in this sort of, you know, suburban bedroom community. That's what it's been for a long time. It has been predominantly white for a long time. And as it continues to diversify, inevitably, there's some tough interactions and tough conversations that people will have. Um, but I think that's healthy, and that's how it becomes a, a better place. Um, and, I, you know, I look forward to that evolution. Mm -hmm. I think it's an important thing. Um, and I think we can't push, we can't, try to uh, stop it. We have to welcome it, invite it, and then you know, work as hard as we can to make it feel really comfortable and safe for all. Right, and yeah. then hopefully with the work that we do on the Human Rights Task Force, we're setting yeah. at least some of the things that we can foresee in place. Um, obviously, you're never gonna be able to catch them all, but at right. least we exist, right? That's the first step. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you say, you know, people hopefully feeling like it is a resource to come and, and, find, and, and share what's happening in the community with so that it's a space that, the, that people can um, connect with and uh, we can help hopefully provide some resources for folks as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, it's great to be here. Danielle. Yeah, I'm pleased to be able to uh, end today's interview with a quote. So as I was thinking about having you here, Eric, mm -hmm. uh, and talking about, you know, nature and those intersections of nature and human rights. Um, I found a quote from Mohandas Gandhi, and it says, a good person is the friend of all living things. Mm. Perfect. Good one. Well, thank you again, and tune thank in you next both. time. Yeah, tune in next time for our next episode of the Westwood Human Rights Roundtable podcast. Thank you. <laughs>